Welcome to this week's episode of... Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today's guest is Pepperdine Men's Volleyball Head Coach David Hunt. David has coached volleyball at all levels, from club to high school to volunteer assistant and now head coach at Pepperdine, assistant to the Japanese men's national team, and the assistant to the women's national team for the USA. Here's his story. David, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. What's up, D Hunt? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm just I was working on the golf game. So that's all you work on now. That's right. I gotta find you know, I'm getting ready to get hit the PGA tour here pretty soon. What's your handicap now? Eleven. Ooh. But I've had I had a bad streak. The last two Two days I played were not so good. So you sound like a degenerate gambler. No, we're re we recalibrated this morning and get back into our groove. You know. So uh, I was I was trying to listen to your guys's interview with Josh just to get a feel for what you guys are are looking for, but I threw up because of all the Long Beach talk. So I just <laughs> man, you're you're just bleeding, bleeding the the waves. No, 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 just. Those guys are for sure extra in the bad guy category. Ask Matt. Like, it's them. UCLA, when Matt was there, they weren't so bad because they were just sort of, like, inept and Al was just going downhill. But Long Beach is, like, yeah, a little bit extra. But you did hit it on the head when you were like, man, guys go there, and, like, they come out just, like, diehards. But we usually call that a cult. That's what that is. That's a cult. (laughs) But if you told a Long Beach guy they were part of a 49er cult, they'd be like, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even Josh said it. He's like, I miss the homie. Like, that's what it is. Like, it's just like, it's bizarre. You don't think the waves are cultish? Uh, I bet Jackson I, would say we're a little bit cultish. Jackson, are, are they cultish? Jackson. I don't know if cult's the right word, but it's definitely like a good old boys club. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Which isn't a bad Did, thing. I mean, there's, there's definitely some waves – there's definitely some knuckleheads that are waves that I've met, but most of them are pretty cool in my book. Yeah, for sure there's a few knuckleheads. <laughs> um, did you guys actually get Marv to say, like, hey, I think we're good here? Is that his actual voice? In the that is his real voice, yeah. It's like, I was like, that's not an impression. Like, that's yeah. a gazillion Marv impressions, but that's not an impression. But then what's funny is he told me on the phone, I was like, hey, have you listened to Matt's podcast? He's like, yeah. And he was like, you know, I, I, I don't really remember saying that that much. And I was like, Mark, I think you said it a fair amount. And he's like, really? It was like a nervous tick. Like, he just didn't know what to say. He didn't like talking in front of a team. So just uh, that's how he ended things. It's just like saying goodbye. Yeah. But the only difference is he didn't shake everybody's hand or, like, give you a fist bump old school on the way out. He would do it and then just run out of the gym. Yeah, just walk away. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he still does it. I was talking – who was I talking to the other day? Annie Drews. And I don't know how much yep. time she spent with him in the national team gym. 
And she's like, I've heard him say that. Yeah. I think, too, because around the girls, like, you know, around the guys, he's much more comfortable. Around the girls, it's like, ooh, uh, what can I say? What can I not say? So you definitely get, like, an awkward, a lot of awkward, like, just walkaways. Like, the Yeti, like, walking across the forest sort of walk, like the long strike. You get that one. Oh, man. That's the best way to describe his walk. The Yeti walking across. Yeah, it's like that film of the Yeti, like the 10 second clip that you see, that's Marv's walk. Like he's got long arms. He's got this like long deliberate stride. Deliberate stride. That's exactly what it is. And he's got like the concave shoulders. The best is watching him recruit. Back in the day when he used to wear like the shredded capa suit, like the one that was like yeah, he it was like parachute pants. Yeah, and then like he no, always he had his little briefcase. Case. Yeah, yeah, he was he was the last man on earth. I mean, he's still there's still uh, Adidas and uh, Asics like of those bags up in our our closet at Pepperdine. All right, what do you guys? Uh, All right, well, yeah, let's get it going. Welcome to the pod, Dave. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks. You know, I I didn't sleep very well last night because the uh you know this walk-up song like jordan had to select a walk-up song and i got nervous because i don't know like what a walk-up song or intro song is going to be so well you picked yeah. it so it's up to you yeah but my musical taste i listen to a lot of podcasts you just want to put like another podcast in the background so your listeners get really confused like what the heck absolutely <laughs> all right that works that works or like an audio book just a <laughs> book on tape just in the background the Harry Potters for five, 15 seconds. Yeah, sure. We can do Art of War by Suits in, or whatever. <laughs> we we just wa- started watching uh, Breaking Bad. Like we were trying to find a show to, to binge watch and we had watched Ozark in a matter of like a week and a half. So there was, they were just talking on Breaking Bad about the Art of War and Sun Tzu. Or, yeah. So. All right, take it away, guys. Oh, I got Good it. Daddy. Okay. You got it. Well, I get I mean, we start with the same thing, the same question is where did it all begin? You see you're a kid from Glendale and then what you Wait. started how old were you when you started playing volleyball? Ooh, I started playing when I was really little. I think like fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in there. Um my sister played volleyball, so I think that was my introduction to it. And then I went to a Catholic middle school, grade school uh, that had a team, right? We had like a CYO league. Uh So I got to play then and just, you know, I think a bunch of the guys that played, we all had a crush on our coach. So I think that really like got us dialed in and kept us coming back. And yeah, then it just grew to high school. And then after that. Shit, sorry. Um, Say that again? Sorry. You went from high school and then after that? Well, it's just after that. It was, uh, yeah, sort of a collection of just played at community college, then transferred, then got into coaching real quick, and then just meet a lot of really cool people that kept my, my interest in coaching. And volleyball is, I mean, it, there's a love for volleyball for sure, but then it's really just a love for, for coaching, leadership, competing, and all of those things that go into coaching that I think really – really make it fun right the volleyball part sure. is is passionate and don't get me wrong like seeing that and doing that at the highest level is is amazing but I think as a coach like there's this desire to 
to lead, to teach, to, to learn, to just want to be as good as you can be. And I think most coaches or at least top coaches that you would talk to, I think there's a huge competitive aspect to it. Right. I think, uh, you know, when we walk around and recruit, I think there's everyone's friendly and cordial. And I think men's volleyball is just a bunch of good people, but there's also this like competitive, like, well, I want to beat that guy too. So, um, I think all of those things tie into it. When, when did you initially kind of get that coaching itch or realize that's what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I think, you know, when I was looking at transferring, I was looking at being a strength and conditioning coach all the way back into like high school. We did like a career, career day or something where our, one of our teachers would get in contact with anybody that you were interested in speaking to in terms of like the field that you were interested in going into. And I spoke to the strength and conditioning coach from UCLA, the assistant strength and conditioning coach from UCLA. Um, so I think there was always like a desire to want to be in that, that area. Uh, I also was interested in going in the fire department. I started that process and, but then ended up gravitating towards the, the athletic realm. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I think there was, there was always something in there that said, Hey, this is what I want to do. And I think it's because I was a really marginal athlete, marginal volleyball player. And I had coaches that really took an interest in me and wanted to get me better. And they would work with me and try to teach me. So I think because of the impact that they had on me, then I just naturally wanted to be able to have that impact on other people. After like already knowing that you wanted to go down that kind of path of teaching and you're already like aspiring to be some kind of an educator in some way, shape or form. Did Pierce yep. was Pierce like the thing that put you over the top is going and had you already met Adam Black before you went to Pierce or did you get there and meet Adam and all those guys? You know, Adam was my, oh, he was my camp coach at Marv's camp. Actually, that was okay. my first, yeah, that was my first introduction to him. And I had seen him as I was playing club, he was coaching club. Uh, so we had crossed paths, just like you guys experience, right? You always see guys from men's volleyball or people on the men's volleyball side just in your daily life, it seems like. Specifically when, I mean, right now with COVID happening, it's like we're all missing that. But when you have the weekend club tournaments and then if you go down to the beach, you see guys and you have the CBVA tournaments and you see guys. So, I mean, I was, I was introduced to a lot of those guys informally, but then going to Pierce College – uh, helped me establish a relationship with him. And actually, Adam was the assistant coach when I first got there. And then two months into my first year there, the head coach quit. And then Adam became the head coach. So um, I think we went through some tough times together. So that relationship, you know, was formed even stronger. And then because of the relationships that I made there, I was able to to meet people either through Pepperdine or Gold Mill Square. And, and um just sort of by luck of the draw my path worked out pretty well and it it really has to do with just meeting some quality people that that took an interest in my desire I guess to work hard or to do stuff that other people didn't really want to do. While you were at Pierce how much time did you get to spend around Big Daddy if any? Uh, Big Daddy for the listeners is Ken Stanley. Yeah I mean Ken yeah you could probably do your own two shows on all the accolades that Ken has in terms of the impact that he's had on volleyball players. Um, it was very little 
in terms of like a coaching perspective, he was there, he was still teaching the basketball class, which was the activities class. I think they went on Tuesdays, Thursdays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I would see him in the office. I would talk to him, but he was really trying to distance himself okay. from the program in terms of from like a coaching perspective. So I would equate it to sort of what Marv is doing now, right? Like the guys, they don't, even though we've dragged him in the gym a lot in the last two years, um, you know, like he's behind the scenes, he's there, you could talk to him, you could interact with him, but um, he wasn't really in the gym doing too much. And then it's ironic because I think uh, because I had heard so much about him, I just wanted to pick his brain and talk to him and get to know him. So actually, you know, I still see him to this day when we go to play Santa Barbara, he comes to the match up there. Um, he's come down to a few events at Pepperdine. So um, even though I didn't directly work with him, I think he had a, he had an impact on my coaching or who I, you know, ended up turning out to be. Yeah, that's really cool. He's a, he's a big figure in not just Pierce, but like you said, men's volleyball as a whole. Yeah. Men's volleyball, community college athletic. I mean, he, for me, and this sort of, sort of embodies the people that I enjoy being around. He just like, he stands for doing things right. Right. So like, you just know there are certain people in your life, you know, for a lot of us, it's our fathers, right. It's just, you trust them wholeheartedly with everything, right? Because you just know that this person's always going to do the right thing. And uh, I think Big Daddy gives off that that aura about him, right? There's no question about, you know, what he's doing behind closed doors. It's always the right thing. And then for me, that was Marv, right? Marv was always doing the right thing. I knew that instantly or almost instantly, like this is somebody that just has my best interest at heart. When he's telling me something, I know there's no ulterior motive. He's not trying to, you know, work around the back end. He's just telling me because he wholeheartedly thinks that this is in my best interest. And um, those are the people that, that I enjoy being around. Those are the people I try to, you know, be around as much as possible. Have you always been like that? Or is that something that, like, caught your eye after or, like, once you got to Pierce? Like once you got out of high school or were you already like that in high school, in middle school, or like, I just want to surround myself with good people. Uh, I think it was something that my dad always like talked about or instilled. Like now that I think about a lot of these coaching messages or these, these different things I feel, I think I was drawn to them or drawn to people that had them, but because my dad sort of instilled them. Right. So I, I find myself telling a lot of our guys like, Hey, I don't care in terms of what your major is. I don't care uh, what you're investing your time in as long as you're passionate about it. Right. I want guys that are passionate about what they're doing and really strongly, firmly believe in, in what they're doing. And I remember my dad always telling me that whether it was, you know, I was taking piano lessons or I played the flute when I was younger, it was, if you're going to take this on, I want you to invest yourself in it. And I want you to try to be the best at it. And he didn't force me to play sports. He didn't force me to play an instrument. He just wanted to sort of like light that fire of passion. So I think because I heard those messages growing up, um, I think that sort of made me feel comfortable when I was around people like that, uh, whether it was I went to Pierce or UCLA or afterwards. And yeah, just that comfort level. And Matt, you know me pretty well. I'm not this extroverted person. I'm, I'm not like a social butterfly. So I gravitate towards towards people that make me feel most comfortable. Uh, and I think those traits were, were ones that made me think of that. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'd like to think I know you pretty well, but I mean, that's why we have you on because now I get to pick your brain and you can't lie to me because you're going to tell a bunch of people about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 yep. Yeah, but, now uh, it's on the record for sure. Yeah, now it's on the record forever. So now I can always go back and listen. But so at what point in time, what, what was your first coaching gig at Harvard Westlake with Adam? No, even before that, my first coaching gig was a freshman team at Harvard Westlake. So Harvard Westlake has two campuses, right? In the Valley is their 10, 11, 12, right? Which is right near the 101. And then their lower campus is over near UCLA. So when I was there my first year, um, I wasn't doing much. So somebody said, hey, do you want to come coach this freshman team? And I had such a blast doing that. (laughs) And I found myself writing up like these long elaborate practice plans while I was sitting in class because I was just like so excited to go coach these guys at three o'clock or three fifteen or whatever it was. And uh, there's actually, yeah, there's two things. One, I messed up so bad, like in terms of like the things I, I would like have them do as a coach. Like I would just cringe if I ever walked into a gym and, and that stuff was going on just from like a motor learning perspective or just like, I would think like, why is a coach having them do this? Um, but it, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it sort of shocked me at how excited I was to go to practice every day. But then I remember getting my first paycheck and I, I vividly remember the idea of like, this is awesome. I've been showing up to practice for years and now somebody's going to give me a paycheck to do it. <laughs> and like, I just was like ecstatic because right. Like you never thought about that. Like when you play high school club, you're, you know, college, you're just showing up to practice. Right. And now all of a sudden gave, somebody gave me a paycheck to do that. And I was just like, dude, I, if this could happen forever, I'm all in, you know? So <laughs> um, sure. I think maybe, you know, you talk about the moment of like knowing that that's what I wanted to do. Maybe that was the moment of like, and don't get me wrong, the paycheck was like not very much money, but I just thought that that was so cool that somebody was now paying me. I thought that I was like the pro athlete, right? I was like, <laughs> sweet. I show up to practice. My body doesn't hurt. I don't have to lift weights. Like I don't have to eat well, but somebody's still going to pay me to do this. Like, this is awesome. I think that's huge. One, that's an important message because you should be passionate about anything that you're going to go and invest yourself in for the rest of your life. And two, everybody starts from the bottom. Oh, for sure. God. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's, it, it brings up, that, that brings up something pretty interesting because I get a little bit irritated now. For sure, like, I remember coaching, I coached that club team and then that next summer I coached a, a 15 twos club team. Now, boys volleyball, like 15 twos is pretty much the bottom of the barrel in terms uh, of – I did the same just, thing at SMBC, and it was like the running joke was, I think they're going to go over at JOs. Oh, for sure. Like, it's – in the Valley, there's not a lot of guys playing volleyball already, right? So, like, to be on a, a twos team, you know, they're just not experienced volleyball players. They were awesome. Again, like, great kids. I had yeah, time actually, in my life to coach them. <laughs> no, but it was – so I did, I did that. And then, I mean, that just, you really got to love it, right? Like you're going to, you're probably not even at the ASC because you're like, your division is so like low or your competition so low. You're probably going to like these satellite you know, facilities and doing different tournaments. And, um, but yeah, you got to enjoy it. And like you said, you got to work your way up and sort of bide your time. And I think a lot of, 
young coaches that are getting into it right now, they just want to go to college, right? Like, Hey, I, I want to coach in college or, Hey, I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, they look at me being younger, I think. And it's, Oh, well, you know, it just was easy for you. Yeah. Well, you know, all those weekends that I was driving down and, and coaching these guys for nothing because I really loved it sort of, you know, worked that evolution or that process. Like it's not going to happen overnight. And I think those are really important because that sort of hones your coaching toolbox, right? There were summers where I traveled around with Goldmill squared and I was only home for, I think six total days out of the summer, but all those random camps that I did in Arizona, New Mexico, you know, Pennsylvania. Now all of a sudden I have different experiences trying to coach and really we're just trying to fine tune our communication skills to paint a picture for somebody so that they can do a skill a certain way. And the more hours you spend coaching, I think the better you get. So even to this day, I try to coach as much as possible just because I think it makes me a better coach in the long run. I think what's interesting too is like at a certain point in time, your investment in these kids, like over it supersedes time. Right. So like, yeah, time is like completely irrelevant at that, at, like at that stage. And you're just, it doesn't matter if you have to go in Monday through Sunday, you're just like, okay, I'll be there. Cause you just, right. you just enjoy it so much. And like, you enjoy the kids, you enjoy their progress and when they're not great they progress so much faster. Plus they're young. So you're like, Oh my God, they're really getting it really, really fast. And so you don't even recognize that. I don't know how you felt about not being home for like a, all but six days, but I don't, when you're in it, you don't even recognize that you're not home that much because you're just going. Just no, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was something that I loved, right. I didn't really, it didn't bother me whatsoever. And it's interesting you talk about that because when they're younger, the learning curve is higher, right? And then you get to the guys that are in college. Uh, you know, Matt, like when you were there, we had a pretty talented team, but I remember being more frustrated with guys on your team. And I remember sitting there with Marv and obviously now being an older coach, I'd probably have a different perspective on it. But, you know, as a coach, you want it like more than your players do and want it. I'm not saying like you want to win more. I'm saying you want them to be better than almost they want to be because you just, you believe in them so much. Right. And you just, you see from the outside, Oh, you have this, all this potential. But you know, when you're a young 20 year old, that's had this talent all their life. Like sometimes it's hard to understand that. So I think, yeah, it's interesting because the, the patience piece has to be molded for sure. When did you feel like you attained this ability to be a little bit more patient or did it just come over? <laughs> you know, I think some people are just, born with it. They're just like, I'm just a patient guy. Yeah, maybe I, as an assistant coach, I think you feel it more so, right? I think there was definitely like a, a change being a head coach because now the decisions all fall on me. Right. And, so now everything from basically it's, you know, I don't like saying this phrase, but it's my program in terms of the responsibility falls on me. Right. Yeah. So um, I think when you're an assistant, you make a lot of suggestions and then <laughs> you're sort of wondering, Hey, why is this working? Why is this working? But you throw out suggestions left and right. I can't do that as a head coach. I have to be much more patient. I can't just walk up to an athlete. Hey, today we're doing this. Hey, today we're doing this and just, 
change because then it's like, well, you know, do you have a vision for me here? Or, you know, are we just throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks? I mean, what's, what's going on? So I think that patience piece is molded when you realize like, all right, I have to make a strategic decision and I can't just jump back and forth and give the illusion of, you know, we don't really know what's going on. Um, and then I just think experience, right? The more time you have uh, dealing with young people, the more you can sort of understand the psyche of what's going on, right? So sure. I think every few years we have similar issues pop up uh, because they're the same issues that, you know, 18 to 22 year olds deal with just in life, you know? And um, so I think the patience of, all right, I've seen this situation before. Here's what hasn't worked. Here's what has worked. And um, so I think that is, is a large part of it. And talking to Marv and hearing, you know, I've only seen him for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. So I've seen him as a very patient person. And, you know, he's telling me, Hey, when I first started coaching, I'd probably messed up more teams than, you know, I helped, you know, and I think that's a common phrase that a lot of coaches, uh, successful coaches have talked about is just, you know, if you're a learner and you're committed to learning, you're, you're going to evolve over time and you're going to become more attuned to what works and what's successful. And I think that's just natural. So I think in five years, I'm going to think, Oh, my first few years as a head coach, I messed up a bunch of teams and you know, we could have been a lot better. And I think that's, that's okay because that means that we're evolving. For sure. So going back to something you, hold on. Sorry, Matt. No, no, go ahead, Jackie. Going back to something you said before, you're a relatively young head coach, uh, for, especially in men's volleyball. Um, yep. What kind of tools did you gain like through your entire path from being a volunteer uh, at Pepperdine all the way to an assistant coach on the women's national team? What kind of things did you learn along the way that prepared you to be a Division One head coach? Ooh. Yeah, I – well, one, I'm really thankful <clears throat> that I, I got to do sort of a wide array of jobs because now there's an understanding when I ask somebody on staff, whatever staff it is, uh, if they can help out with something, there's a certain understanding that, all right, it's going to take X amount of time, right? And sometimes I think it was frustrating if a head coach would ask me to do something and it was going to take two hours, but they needed it in 20 minutes, right? And <laughs> trying to to get somebody to understand that, hey, you know, I can't just produce something like that if it has to do with video or if it has to do with, you know, a scatter report that's, hey, we need a little more lead time. Um, so having that understanding, uh, the ability to pitch in, you know, when, when things are getting tough, whether it's on the road with the U.S. team and you got a gazillion things going on and, you know, it's hitting the fan because you're in a foreign country and just all the things that could go awry. Um, or if it's just, you know, the, the middle of, of the season and guys are tired and your staff's tired and you're just trying to be a good leader and help out and lighten the load for some other people. Uh, so I'm thankful that I've had to do all those jobs. It's helped, helped me sort of build my own personal toolkit of things. Um, ooh, yeah, continue, you know, continue to think about your question. I just, all of a sudden now, I just think about all these different things. Um, but yeah, just the two things that stand out to me are I got to build my toolkit in terms of abilities that I had, you know, like things that I got to do. And then I got to be around some really high level people that did it really well or did the job really well. And I really got to sort of see from afar or up close uh, 
how they did things. And then I got to steal a little bit from them of what I was going to do. And when I had the opportunity to be a coach. That's awesome. Great brother. <laughs> <laughs> so who, how did you end up at pep? Obviously you have like all the connections in the world at this, like not in the world, but like just being in the Valley and being at Pierce and just hearing the word, just hearing Adam black alone. How did you end up up at PEP? Yeah, a string of like really uh, random events, right? I think it was a combination of Goldmill Squared used to have their uh, coaches clinic there. So when I knew that uh, I was going to work during the summer and do these camps and uh, go around the country and do the base of these four or five day camps, I wanted to go to the coaching clinic and see what it was all about. So I went up there and got to meet some people, got to hang out with Marv, got to interact with some high-level coaches. And then I ended up working Pepperdine's summer camp. Uh, they were short on counselors, and Adam asked me to – Adam was the assistant there at the time, and he had asked me to help out there. And, again, just I think the relationship piece in terms of just meeting a lot of people and interacting with a lot of people, uh, I think there's a lot of value in – getting to know somebody and then keeping your mouth shut. And, you know, like when you're getting to know somebody and build a relationship, I see a lot of people, young coaches specifically, they'll ask a question. It's like, Hey, how do you teach passing? Right. Say I ask Marv, how did, how do you teach passing? And he starts to tell me and I go, yeah, yeah, but I like to teach it this way. And it's like, was I really genuinely like seeking to understand what he was trying to say, or did I just want to tell him what I knew? So I think there was a lot of value in just asking people some questions to get to know them and get to know the, how they do their craft and then actually listening to them. So um, the combination of that Goldmill Squared clinic and working Marv's camp, uh, I just connected with Marv, I connected with a few other coaches and then I was invited to, to come watch practice during the fall because I was into it. Um, then that evolved into a manager position, a student manager position, even though I wasn't a student there. Um, they still allowed me to be a student manager and then it was, all right now I'm on this staff or I'm a, a part of what they're doing. It's now how can I lighten somebody's load along the way, right? So then that was sort of how I got more and more responsibility. It was, hey, can I help you out here? Can I help you out here? And just as that trust was built or they became more comfortable with what I was doing or saw the work that I was doing, they gave me more and more. So I think that that led to more and more responsibility. What was the first team that you were part of at Pepperdine? What years? Oh, it was 2007, 2008. So that, I mean, that whole time was like a pretty, pretty cool game. time. <laughs> yeah, we, we did well. We ended up going to the national championship game. Uh, we lost to this skinny kid from, you know, New York that nobody really knew about. His name was Matt Anderson. <laughs> that guy's a half. He ended up, yeah, he's having an okay career. Yeah, um, he's he's all right. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we had – a really talented crew as well. And then also when I first started there, it was the end of world cup and then getting ready for the Olympic games. So I had started to help Marv prepare some scouting stuff because Hugh and Jamie were sending Marv scouting material and I would help prepare some of that. So that was my introduction into international volleyball as well. I would just uh, prep for Brazil and Serbia those are the two that I really remember like getting videos together for. So I remember sitting in this public speaking class. I think it was public speaking, might've been PR, um, coding Brazil video. 
like breaking it down so that Marv would be able to watch it to be able to send a scatter report to Hugh while they were traveling around the world link. And this was only like 10 or 11 years ago, but it, the technology seems like it was like ancient, right? Like downloading videos took forever, uh, then coding them, then like having to break everything down. It was just crazy. But little did I know I was watching the best players in the world, right? Like I didn't know that. I was just breaking down these teams, trying to like figure out who number 15 was. Like, was that number 15 that hit the ball or number 14 that hit the ball? Um, but I had no idea. Like I was watching Milkovich, who was the best opposite in the world for years. And now like all of a sudden I'm just spending hours watching video of these guys. So I thought that was pretty neat as well. I think that that ended up evolving into some things down the road, which I could probably go on a tangent about, but in essence, like watching the best players from all around the world in 2007, 2008 was pretty cool. It's like really unique. Unique and like incredibly interesting that you say that because there's like this feeling of being naive in that moment as well. And I think that's actually like really beneficial. And Micah Christensen talked about the same thing where he's like that feeling of being naive to all these things that were happening to me when I was like 17 to 20 actually played right. into my hand later because he was like, I didn't know who like Kovalev was had no idea who like Uroš Kovacevic was. He's like, I just went and played. And right. I, I just no, wanted I mean, to be yeah. the best that I could be. And that was it. No, I, I agree. It was, you know, when we went in 2010, I think it was to the world championships and we got fourth. Right. And Michael was setting for us. He was one of our setters and we played that Serbian team. Right. And I had no idea who they were. They were just a bunch of 18 year olds smoking cigarettes outside. No, that's, right? like, that's, and that's like a legendary – I mean, that's a really good team. That's a really good team, and that's their entire national team right now. Yeah, right. right? So then in 20, 2012, I go to the Olympic Games, and I'm walking by, and I'm like, oh, I remember coaching against that guy and that guy <laughs> and that guy. And I'm like, holy crap. You know, because it was – now it's just a lot easier to be able to access video from all of those athletes, right? So now I would know maybe – a 20 year old from Serbia, right. Who's playing professionally and who's having a good career already. But you know, in 2008, 2009, the video was not nearly as available as it is now. So it was just, yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot to be said about just being naive and young. And I started talking about that coaching part, but it was really interesting because I'm watching, you know, some of the best players in the world, right. Or Brazil running their big attack. And then I think back to, all right, now I wanted to try to teach something like this to a young athlete, but I have all these images in my mind because I've seen it run by some of the best people in the world over and over. So now I'm able to convey what it looks like because I've seen it hundreds of times where I may consciously sit there and think like, ooh, you know, how did the best passers in the world pass? But I was seeing it over and over. So I think that really helped sort of my my coaching down the road specifically when we went to Japan and words became irrelevant because nobody understood English anyway. So um, that idea of modeling and, and really demonstrating became huge. Yeah. What I've, I, I don't think I've ever like really asked you about it or you've never broke it down to me, but like, what was that season in Japan? Cause it was just one season. Yeah. In Japan. Yeah, I mean, for you guys, I was only gone 
months for half, like one semester in SFB, yeah, guys. And like, we were, I was gone. All of a sudden, you came back and it was like camp. And I was like, <laughs> he's already back. Or he had left for like two <laughs> weeks and then you were back at Mars camp. I was like, he got fired yeah. already? Jesus, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, so it, I mean, that was, it was a whirlwind, right? Like I ended up accepting this job. I remember my dad was helping with my contract. I ended up telling my mom that I'm going to coach in Japan. And she thought it was like one of these USA things. So she was like, Oh, cool. How long are you going there? And I was like, well, it could be one year. It could be four years. Like, I don't really know. And my mom just like freaks out. And I was like Wednesday. <laughs> and she just like, what are we going to do about the house? And I was like, mom, I don't know. Like, but it's a great opportunity. I'm just going to go. So you know, reflecting back, I just think like my poor parents, I probably gave them a heart attack, right? But it was, we ended up going and it was a whirlwind. We had 10 days of training and then we go to Korea to play in the first World League match. And I didn't know anything about the relationship between Japan and Korea, but come to, fi come to find out they don't like each other so much. So that was a rather hostile environment. And then we spent seven weeks of World League. That was like the old school World League where like every weekend you were in a different country. Yeah. Um, and then when I, after those seven weeks, I came back to the U.S. for five days, I think, because I had to get my, I had to get a few documents so I can get my permanent visa or my work visa or whatever the visa was that I needed for Japan. So I came back and then, yeah, I was there for uh, I think June or July, all the way until December, until Karch offered me a job to work with the women's national team. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was an emotionally trying time. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, like, I just broke down, right? I mean, you're, you're in this foreign country, the athletes, everything you know about coaching in terms of, like, how to communicate and everything that you feel makes you pretty good. Now you can't do those things because nobody understands what you're talking about. Um, and just trying to convey messages to people that culturally have just different beliefs, right? So it was a really trying time. Um, but some of the relationships I built with those athletes, like, I don't know. After Grand Champions Cup, I think the players and coaches, my, I mean, I just sat in the locker room, like, sort of in tears just because it was over and it, it had been so emotional, right? And um, to see some of those athletes now still and interact with them is pretty cool. And, um, to see some of the young players that we were going to have join us that following year now, like just tearing it up there, I think was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was, it was emotionally trying, I think is the best way to say it. I remember briefly discussing like philosophical differences on how they, exemplified like their prototypical player versus what you guys need yeah. your prototypical player right and they were a lot more yeah skilled based and you're like well we could have skill and athletes like both are totally possible because we have our pick of the litter with the japanese national team yeah and now looking at their team they you guys definitely changed the culture there man like with we ishikawa yeah. and I mean, their receivers are phenomenal. Yamagita's a good player. Like they have two of the best receivers potentially in the world right now, yeah. and they have a great they have great pins. And they you can blatantly see that aside from the setting position, which we've talked about in extent, 
they are going for athletes. They've changed. No, yeah, for sure. And I, I somebody in the JVA actually sat me down and goes, "Hey, you know, it's it's probably not going to work out for you guys this quad, right? Like it's going to be rough this quad." And they said the same thing happened in soccer. And he goes, "Here's what's going to happen." At the end of this quad, they're going to let you guys go. And they're going to hire Japanese coaches for the next two quads after that. And then they're going to go back to hiring a foreigner. And they said it's, it's going to take about 10 to 12 years. But, you know, they, they brought us in because they wanted to change sort of their thinking. And then when they brought us in, they got rid of the guy that brought us in um, about two weeks into our stay there. And then they went back to sort of their old – line of thinking but um yeah i agree with you there's definitely a change you're seeing more athletes go and play abroad i think ishikawa is this is his sixth season now playing abroad which never happened yeah i mean Um, they're tearing it up in italy too yeah and i mean they have great athletes and i mean philosophically for me i mean matt you know this i'm not a I hate the term like systems, right? Because I hear coaches talk about like system, the system, the system, like system is going to solve everything. And I'm a big believer in you put your best athletes out there and then you build a system around them using the principles of good volleyball, right? So uh, some years we have more aggressive serving teams and usually the years that we're more aggressive serving, we're not nearly as good of a blocking team right? Because that's why we're being more aggressive. And people ask me, oh, do you believe in like just going after it from the service line? If we can't block, yeah, I believe in going after it from the service line. And, <laughs> and it depends on, you know, which we can train, right? And, but, and people are always like, well, Marv, you know, he didn't care how, how you served. He just wanted you to serve it in. Yeah, because his entire front line was like 6'10". Yeah. And if our entire front line was 6'10", I would tell the team to underhand the ball in too. And I mean, when we had Austin Wilmot in the front row this year, I would cringe every time somebody missed a serve because he was just so dominant as a blocker, even against other opposing quick attackers, right? And like people would say, like, well, they could just set quick. Well, Austin could set or block quick. So I'll take my chances. So, um, yeah, I just, I was a firm believer in just getting our best athletes out there and seeing what we can make work. So, um, I agree with you. Japan has has changed from their old school mentality. I think they still they rely on their setter a little too much. You know, before, when I got there, it was the setter had everything was like a quick set. So basically, everything was ran to a spot, and it was the setter's job to put the ball there. There was no uh, responsibility on the hitter to sort of give them a window and go slow and fast and all of that. There was nothing like that. But if you watch number five, Fukuzawa, yeah. For them, he still goes slow to fast really well. I was actually watching that the other day, and that was something that, I mean, we got in fights about it, you know, through a translator, but he just, he didn't understand, but then he would go and he'd watch and he'd watch, and then he actually went to other countries and started playing there, and um, now you see that. What's that? I played against him this year in Paris. Yeah, and he's... I mean, he's a fabulous volleyball player, but he's made himself into a fabulous volleyball player because he's he's been open to change and open to learning. So. Yeah. Uh, no, he... so moving forward, after Japan, you said that's when you got hired with the USA team with uh, Karch? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and this is an extremely broad question, so take it <laughs> okay. whichever, whichever direction you want, but 
Uh, what was that experience like? And what were some things you, I mean, still hold on to this day from that experience? Was it just the, the talks in the office or working with really high level athletes? What was it? Yeah, I think, I mean, one, it it reaffirmed my belief that a lot of great coaches are great people first, right? Like Karch is an all-time just great person, right? And obviously he's had all the accolades of the player and we won world championships there. Uh, so now he's got a, few, a gold medal, at least one as a coach and, you know, hopefully a few more before it's over. But all-time great person. Um, our original hope was, right, you have all these – girls playing volleyball and can we get like some continuity and training where we can start to develop like a home training group uh because i'd seen some other countries do that really well where they didn't have to take all their athletes to then world league or grand prix but they were they were developing them well enough and creating a culture of like a good at-home training group to where they can cycle athletes through. So that was actually sort of what I started as, and it gave me a lot of good reps of just running my own practices, right? When the team was gone, I got to run my own practices and get the team going in the right direction. And then Karch would give me input or Tom or Jamie about, Hey, here's what this athlete needs to get better at. Here's what we see them doing. And then sort of, same thing like at Pepperdine, like that role sort of evolved as, as I helped out more and more. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fun experience. I think I learned that, that high level athletes are high level athletes, regardless of the gender, you know, they just want to be the best that they can be. And they're, they're sensitive to what works for them and what's going to help them be elite. Um, so I, that's probably the most common question is, Hey, what's the difference coaching men and women and, you know, I think it's elite athletes are elite athletes, right? So that's the difference is elite athletes versus the ones that, that aren't so elite. Um, but in terms of just the overall experience, again, it just gave me more reps at, at working with people from different backgrounds and, you know, different experience levels and how do we teach them uh, to play the game in the most efficient way possible. Worked. <laughs> we do well we do well right and uh, i mean uh, that was a really special group i think mike gervais who was our sports psychologist at the time he did a great job at just making it about the person right and making it about doing the work internally as an individual and bringing your best to the group to make it collectively the best and i thought that was that was a cool concept. There were a lot of things I took away in terms of team culture, team dynamics that we use, you know, with our guys now. Um, just because I thought Mike, you know, Mike might be the best in the world at it. Uh, and then Karch, you know, exemplified that sort of in how he was living. So I thought it was just a, a really cool collection. And then you think about all the, the minds that were in in those coaching meetings and just the success that those people have gone on and had, right? Tom Black's now coaching the Canadian national team and he had had so much success collegiately. And then Jamie takes over Netherlands and, um, you know, Joe is probably one of the brightest people when it comes to statistics and measuring performance and just all of those ideas in the room every day. Uh, yeah, a lot of knowledge to be taken away, I think. Jackson, do you do you know who Joe, do you know who Joe Trinzi is? 
Yeah, of course. Okay. Joe's goal in life, he told me when he was at Pepperdine, is to be two able to computers. two matches <laughs> yeah, at the same time. That, that would be impressive. But if anybody could do it, it would be Joe, I think. Yeah, literally. Sure. I know. He was like – he said he, he was practicing. He was like, I'm going yeah. to accomplish this by the end of my lifetime. I wouldn't be shocked. So, David, in, the, in those meetings, like you said, there's obviously great volleyball minds in those meetings. Um, I'm sure it got kind of tense sometimes because people, when they're given those opinions, feel very strongly about them. Uh, how would you yeah. guys resolve when there were disagreements? Oh, man. I think, I think there was a good understanding, at least this is my perspective, and maybe I was just naive, but I think there was a good understanding that it was just everyone wanted what was best for the team, right? So at the end of the day, uh, if Tom said one thing, Jamie said another thing, and then Karch ultimately said, well, this is the way we want to do it, regardless of how those two felt, they were all on board, right? So it was, hey, Karch said this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. And I think everyone understood that, hey, I'm just providing a suggestion of how I would do it or what I think would be best. But, you know, we all want this team to be really successful. And I think that that was probably the most rare, was you had all these people that had a really high volleyball IQ and really had strong belief in, you know, what should be done because they all had had so much success um, doing it that way. But then they also wanted what was best for, for the athletes and the team. So I thought that was pretty neat. And that was, that was a huge takeaway. It was just, Hey, at the end of the day, these people that are really good at what they're doing can put their ego aside and just be all into the team. Then, you know, who am I to like think that my idea is the best. So. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah, I thought it was super cool, and I thought the athletes benefited from that. I don't know if the athletes ever, like, knew that or thought that, but definitely they they reaped the benefits of just having these coaches that were super in volleyball, but also there for them as people. You can for sure feel it as an athlete, though, when your coach when your coaches blatantly care and they have an emotional investment in you. you yeah, no, I agree. You know. I agree. It's like a, I think was, if your parents around, you can tell if your parents around, you can tell if your parents not around. And at a certain point in time, your coach becomes like a parent to you. And if yeah, they're present totally. and at all times, you're like, all right, this guy's in it. I agree. And I, you know, I think to someone like Tom, right? Like he was, he had two programs going at the same time, right? He's working at LMU at the time. And then he's also working for the U.S. Women's National Team. And if any setter, told him like Tom I want to get in practice or I want to come in at 6 a.m. and get reps he was there like he was the first person there breaking down video with them working with him you know he had just had a I think you know his oldest now you know was real young at the time so you know he's probably not sleeping much but not once did he ever say anything like that right it was just hey I'm here for the athletes if they want to get reps I'm all in you know and um so that one like really stood out to me in terms of just, hey, here's somebody that had a lot on his plate, but was never going to talk about it. We all knew it, but, you know, he was never going to talk about it and he was going to do whatever the team needed to be successful. Respectable to say the least. Yeah, for sure. So then moving forward, as, as time goes on and you keep creating and gaining new experience as an assistant, 
Did you ever feel a point in time at Pepperdine where you're like, I think I'm ready to take the reins? Ooh, I think, I think just the confidence in my ability, not that I was ready to take the reins at Pepperdine, right? Because there was so much respect for Marv. I mean, I love him to death. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm still making sure that he doesn't leave, right? Like we're still doing things to make sure that he doesn't leave his office and he's going to stick around there for a long time. So I don't think I ever was like, Hey, you know, it should be my time at Pepperdine. But I think I always was thinking, you know, if it, the right situation ever came up, I feel confident to take a program and make it competitive and make it elite. So I think there was a difference, right? It wasn't like I was sitting there thinking like, all right, old man, like, Move it's going to be my turn soon. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I think it was just, hey, I'm enjoying this. And if the right situation ever comes up, you know, I'll, I'll look at, you know, going there and potentially doing it. Um, but I do think there was always an allegiance to to Marv and to Pepperdine and to the administration there that, that gave me an opportunity when, you know, I wasn't really anybody. Uh, now, that being said, Marv also vouched for me. So that goes a long way at Pepperdine. But um i think there was there's more of this uh not like i owe but like hey marv spent his life's work building up that program and even the advancements that i saw you know in my 10 years with him uh that now it's man he worked so hard you know now my good friend like i'm gonna try to keep this going for him right i don't want his work to go in vain i don't want somebody else to come in and mess it up and you know, Matt is somebody that played there. I'm sure that's, whether it's a blatant thought of yours, but like it would probably crush you if all of a sudden that program no, it's went down the thought. It's definitely a blatant thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it would, I think for everybody, you know, when Marv stepped aside, I think there for some of the older guys, at least some of the older guys did played there, you know, late 90s, early 2000s that I didn't know too well. I think there was this thought of like, oh no, like who's going to take this program now? You know, we don't want it to go sideways. And, um, luckily we've had success. And, you know, I think the fact that Marv sticks around is, is also a nice comforting feeling. Yeah. I think that that kind of sums it up. What we asked earlier is like, is Pepperdine like a cult? No, it's just <laughs> right. the people that, the people that go through that program have a lot of pride in it. And, they understand that it was a special place in their lives and they want to see that continue for the athletes that are going through it now. I'm going to take no, a lot sure. of guess and say all the 49ers would say the exact same thing. Yeah. Just a wild crack at it. Well, I think, I, you know, men's volleyball, I think is unique in that regard, right? Like UCLA had Al for 50 years. Um, Santa Barbara had Ken for, for a long time. And I think there's this change of the guard just because, that's sort of where we're at. But I think these men's volleyball coaches, you have a strong impact on, on so many young people's lives because those are jobs that people tend to hold for a long time. I also think men's volleyball in, like, in all regard is cultish. <laughs> a little bit. It's a cult sport, yeah. A niche. Unda I think the more PR phrase would be niche sport, you know, instead yeah. of cult sport. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, I mean, I think every – as of right now, every men's volleyball player that we've had on has – they themselves have presented that, like, volleyball is very tight-knit. It is familial. We are a very tight community, unlike the women's game. But I would certainly say that we are 
cultish now that you've brought that word to my attention. <laughs> I think you brought that we, word up first. No, no, I didn't. Dave did. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I brought up cult. Yeah, in okay. a very slamming manner. It was not meant to be <laughs> yeah, an endearing term whatsoever. But uh, I agree. I mean, I walk into the U.S. gym now and I just think about like, you know, damn, I remember recruiting most of these guys, which yeah. probably means I'm getting old. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a cool feeling, right? Because uh, thinking about knowing most of these guys that are in the gym since they were 16 or 17 years old. Yeah, I mean, I keep every time I reflect back on anything that's happened in my men's volleyball journey, it always starts at like when I was 14 and I met this guy. And it's like, yep. I've known these guys for 12 years now or whatever. Like, I met Dave at holiday camp in Poway, and I was like 15. No, Dave, since yeah. I was 15. And back yep. then, Dave was just like, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> like, I'm here for Pepperdine. <laughs> like, just. The fun guy. And now I look at him and I'm like, oh, my God, he's the head coach of Pepperdine. I still think I'm the fun guy. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Until I – I don't know. I think there's something to be said about understanding who you are and where you are in life, right? Like I can't give the same, like, wisdom that marv can give somebody because i just haven't had the same life experience that marv's had um and i think you got to understand that as a coach too right like i'm i'm a younger guy so i think i can't get up there and start preaching life advice or at least the life advice i can give is very limited in nature or scope so i think there's a there's a good thing about just understanding who you are and where you're at in life no, was, I mean, you played it brilliantly because you, you were the you were the young guy, period. Because it was like Brad Keller, yeah. Fox, and Ken Shibuya, and all these guys that had been in the pipeline for 10 years already. And I don't know if right. that was your first camp or what it was, but you're just like, I'm here. Tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think that's probably been my attitude for a while for a lot of things. It's just, all right. Yeah, I think – Everyone likes being around somebody that has a good attitude. Yeah, you know, and I remember you telling us, you were just like, I'm just here, guys. You know, like I just wear the Pepperdine thing every once in a while, and I'm just here to snap balls whenever they tell me to and uh, have a nice smile. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. It. So, Dave, now that, now that you are at Pepperdine, you've been there for two seasons now uh, as the head coach, uh, what are some differences that – maybe you've brought into the program as the lead. I think from my perspective, the foundation is pretty similar, um, yeah. but maybe what are some nuances that might have changed because you are not Marv Dunphy, you are David Hunt, and yeah. things are going to be a little bit different. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know too many differences in terms of like, I, I just think that I try to be uh, authentic to who I am. So whatever differences in my personality and Mars personality, sure. um, I think those would probably be the ones, but you'd probably have to ask an athlete that played for both uh, to get a full grasp. I think I, I try to have, you know, Marv is always a tough guy to communicate with off the court in certain situations. Like for me, I, I've always felt comfortable communicating with him, but I know a lot of athletes had a hard time communicating with him about certain things. Sure. Um, I agree with that. So I try, yeah, I just try to be there and try to explain things as much as possible to the athletes off the court. 
because I think that's an important piece. And I think Marv could get away with it because there was this ingrained, well, he knows what he's doing, right? And he's had so much success at every level. So I just got to trust it. Where for me, I just feel much more comfortable sitting in the office or sitting wherever and just having a conversation about it and being open to player feedback about things that we could change or get better at. Uh, so I think off the court, the communication style is, is a lot different. Um, but that's just me and my uh, sort of my coaching journey and sort of how I've evolved. And then ooh, some other things that, that might be different. I don't know. Most of the things that are different are just, like I said, just natural personality things. I think I would be yeah. stupid to try to change uh, some of the cultural stuff. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a good fundraiser, so I don't do the fundraising. Marv does the fundraising. So I think that's a difference because <laughs> I'm just, he's much more uh, dialed in on probably administrative things. You know, I'm much more of just, hey, I like volleyball and I like the guys in our program. If I can just keep it to that, then I think we'll be pretty good. So <laughs> uh, we're Marv, unfortunately in coaching and Jackson, you've probably seen it. Coaching, usually the stuff in the gym is a very small amount of what we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I think I've been able to shift it to where that's a large part of what we do. And, the, you know, someone like Marv has stayed on and, and interacts and does all the other things well for our program still. That's great. That's cool that it's kind of a, an organic switch versus like calculated backdoor, like, oh, I have to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. It's just, no, I'm me and this is the difference. Yeah. And I, I've seen some coaches along the way that they, they almost like want to like put their stamp on things, right? Like, hey, new sheriff in town, totally. you know, we're doing things. Totally. And, you know, I, it always just grinds my gears about when I hear coaches, assistant coaches specifically hey, you know, I don't agree with this, or I don't agree with that. And they, like, throw their head coach under the bus. And, and a large part of me, I have to bite my tongue. But it's like, well, then quit. Like, don't work there. If you don't believe in what he's doing, you know, yeah. here's a guy that's giving you a job and is helping you. Like, where's the loyalty? Um, so that always sort of irritates me. But, <clears throat> yeah, I think there's there's got to be an idea of I'd be stupid to, to go in there and just change everything. And – a large part of what Marv's able to do and I'm able to do is Pepperdine's a pretty unique place, but we can coach organically to who we are, but because the university allows that. Whereas if I was at, you know, a public university, would I be able to emphasize, you know, the person more so than, you know, the athlete? I don't know. You know, if I was in women's volleyball and, you know, they were worried about, you know, my contract and how much money I was getting paid and win percentages. I, I don't know if I'd be able to, to organically just sit down with athletes and talk to them um, and tell them that, you know, volleyball is just something they do. It's not who they are, you know, if I was fearful for my job. So I don't know if it's circumstances have helped uh, a lot or not, but yeah. Um. We can we can take this off if you don't want it on there, or if you don't want to answer, just say you don't want to answer. Um, <laughs> okay. What? Because that is a big thing in women's volleyball that I'm learning is like, what are your expectations as an athletic director or as an athletic department? Not just yeah. to define success, but at the end of the day, for me to keep my job as a head coach, you know. Right. Uh, what were yours at Pepperdine? 
Like what were the expectations? Yeah. Like how was that described to you when you were in the interview process or you took the job? Yeah. You know, I think that's, as a young coach, I mean, Jackson, I'd keep all that in there because I think that's great. And as a young coach, you have to ask that on your, your uh, interview. You have, I mean, the way I would phrase it is, Hey, five years from now, how are we going to determine if this was successful? And um, a good friend of mine who's now the AD at UMBC actually gave me that advice. He goes, you have to know how they're going to measure success because your idea of success could be, hey, we're going out there competing for championships. And maybe your AD just wants you to bring in a lot of guys so that enrollment is high. Right. And like you got to get on the same page before you accept that job. And if you're you're not on the same page, I think your working relationship is going to be really problematic. So um yeah i mean in terms of being at pepperdine i'm really fortunate <clears throat> that i work for an athletic director now i've known the athletic director since you know he started at pepperdine which was you know shortly after i had started there but he is somebody that wholeheartedly believes in it's a people first uh athletic department and university we're here to develop the athletes as people um you know his whole thing is if you're if you're doing all the things the right way in terms of you're communicating with your athletes, communicating with your staff, you're recruiting at a high level, um, you're training at a high level, the wins will come, right? But you got to do all the other things at a high level. And it, it starts with treating people that you're around really well. So philosophically, he's on the same page. And I think that makes it really easy uh, to just be myself at the university. Now I'm, again, I'm really lucky because he's been there a while and I sort of fell into that. If it was somebody different, that had different beliefs, I don't know. And I don't even know how I'd go about that conversation, right? Um, we're also pretty lucky that, that a place like Pepperdine men's volleyball has had a lot of success. So they're, they're looking to keep that success going, but then also it's not, hey, a win at all costs sort of athletic department. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm just, I'm really fortunate that, that the university believes in people, right? It's a, it's a person centered relationship based community. So I think, like I said, could I do that same thing in another place? I don't know. You know, I'd like to think that I'd be able to block out the pressure uh, and just focus on people, but I don't know. It's tough. When you have these, when you have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your best athletes, like these guys that you're like, okay, I've procured this guy because I want him to be the franchise. Yeah. And they're not on the same page. How do you try to get, I mean, I guess, how do you try to get them on the same page as you are like character wise or belief wise or values wise? not even just outside of volleyball, but like how do you get guys going and like get them on the same page? So it's like, Hey, we need you. Right. Like, yeah. You're talking about like if they're, guys. if they're making bad choices off the court or what? Yeah. Like talk? just all in all, like, and especially with stubborn athletes, because for sure. And I know I was one undoubtedly when I was there where I was like, I know everything because the smartest guy in the world's 18 year old Matt West. But, right, yeah. <laughs> but how do you, how do you get your message across to them? And are you one of those guys that's like, I'm going to just like keep bringing them in every day and get it across or like, Hey, we're going to have two meetings a year. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. 
like do, and, and do you ever give up on a kid at a certain point in time or like how do you deal with kids that just like won't not won't but like it's like you're a good player how do how are we going to tap into this potential now yeah you know i'm gonna answer your first part about giving up on somebody when i was an assistant i remember telling marv about a few guys like screw this guy like just cut him like get rid of him he's you know he's he's worthless you know he's he's messing up he's doing all this stuff and I always got to admire Marv because he always, he would go to the end of the world to try to help somebody before he ever just gave up on them. And that had an impact on me and how I view those things. And Matt, you probably know some of those players that you probably thought as well. Like, why is this guy here? <laughs> like, why are we wasting our time with this guy? Um, oh, man. I know. I can think of you off the top of my head. <laughs> but Marv always did a better job in his – he understood things from like a bigger picture, right? So it was always, <clears throat> well, this kid comes from like a messed up family life. You know, it's not his fault that his parents don't get along and they fight all the time. And, you know, he's just a byproduct of that. So if I can have an impact on him or help him, then I'm going to do that. So I thought Marvel always did a good job of, of having the patience to try to help somebody in those regards. Um, I think the character piece <clears throat> is really important to weed out during the recruiting process. So I used to think about it in terms of, hey, he's a really good athlete. We'll just, we'll change him a little bit. You know, we'll get him to be a good guy if we surround him with enough good guys. And I, it just doesn't work like that. You spend too much time trying to change ingrained behavior and changing habits is tough already. And we're trying to do that in the competitive arena with volleyball. I don't want to be doing it, you know, throughout a guy's life. So uh, if there's a, guy that potentially could win us a national championship but is an idiot i'll take the guy that's a great character guy and hopefully we can train him and get him good enough to win a national championship i'd rather do it that way and i think that's you know is that going to cost us down the road maybe but i just it's not worth the time and energy that's going to be spent it's not fair to the rest of the team it's not fair to the people that have to interact with that guy at the university so um, the character piece is huge because then if I know that a guy is a solid person comes from a great, uh, home life, then if he does make a bad choice, then it's easier to get him back on track. Oh. Um, and I'm not saying guy, our guys are perfect. You know, they don't make all the right decisions all the time, but they have to have that foundation for us to be able to correct it and get them back on track versus like, you know, laying a new foundation for them. Um, when it comes to athletes that are in the gym that maybe aren't buying into what we're trying to do, like from an offensive standpoint or a defensive standpoint, usually it's just getting them into the office, watching video, trying to understand what they're talking about or they want to do, why they're stubborn about something, and then coming to a common ground using the principles that we understand that'll help us be successful. So most resistant, you usually have an athlete is like maybe, you know, set speed or tempo, right? Maybe somebody wants to play a little bit slower and then you just talk about, all right, what's going to be our limiting range is your ability to, if you're going to run slower, you have to be able to hit with more range, right? So I think of somebody like Dave, uh, they graduated last year, he hit a slower ball really well because he had the range to do it. So there was no point running fast with him if it limits its range. So, so understanding like sort of those things and those 
those issues that could arise and then trying to communicate that with your athlete. Hey, here's what, here's the end goal. Here's what we want to do. However we can accomplish this, I'm all in on it and sort of getting their input on those things. I'm all about it. Yeah. I mean, you did a great I mean, job. I mean, you did a great job with me with it. You'd like, I remember not countless times, but I can remember at least once a year we would sit down and be like, this is the philosophy. And I was like, all right, this, we're going to go fast or we want to pump more quick big or we want to do this. And like we'd make practices so that like it would establish that philosophy more. And right. I remember after the first week, I was always like, this is bullshit. Like this is never going to work. <laughs> right. Right. You're young and you want it to work right away and stuff. And obviously it's going to take like three months before you see any kind of result. And yeah, and yeah, and we just had a lot of that and just watch. And I was there's so much head shaking when I'd walk out of that office, like this guy has no idea what he's talking about, but I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna keep going. With <laughs> and it always works, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the the beauty of it too is like, and I think I've told Jackson this for sure. I was incredibly fortunate to have two very different um, philosophical beliefs on setting with you and Winder, because you were like 33% here, 33% here, 33% here guy. Like we need to even the spread. And Winder was, uh, if we have to set Josh 250 times to win this match, then we're going to set Josh 250 times <laughs> to win the match. Right. And so like, I remember literally walking back and forth and you were like, hey, so in row one, we set red a lot, but it scores a lot, but I think we should spread it out and set Parker. And then walking down and then talking to Winder, and it was like, Josh scores 80% of the time in row one. I think we just set Josh. And I was like, all right, so what's the game plan, guys? <laughs> but it was, it was actually – it helped me so much, like, going forward because I, I understood how to run an offense from you – but I also learned how to play to win from winter. Right. And so like, yeah. it was just learning how to balance that. And then going into senior year, like all these things that we talked about for the last three years of, we need to go fast in these certain situations. Uh, the quick pick is open here. We need to establish the quick pick early and then we can open and then close and all these things. So it worked. It was just like, you, but like, you had just have to buy in. That's the hardest part though. When you're young is you're just like, I know everything don't tell me how to live my life but when you you just have to buy in i hope other athletes understand this that that hopefully oh, sure. young athletes where it's like just just believe them just believe your coaches they're not trying to screw you and once you get that through your head of like they're not trying to like blow it for us they're actually trying to help you life gets so much easier well i think too that's that you understand like from a coaching perspective people's background strongly influences like their coaching beliefs right so like john played with some of the best athletes in the country on his team yeah. and got to three final fours right so he had paul carroll and sean rooney and i mean when you have those guys you could feed it i mean we there were times where we set paul 75 times in a match and we would win right and it didn't matter if they knew that Paul was going to get the ball. You can hit it over them, around them, you know, through them, whatever it was, and still do well, right? Same thing with Rooney, right? He was able to do those things. And uh, 
where I think for me, I'm much more of an analytics thought. I don't think analytics are the answer. I wouldn't do like the Houston Rockets thing where that's why I'm building a team a certain way. I think you're still dealing with people and it's, it's not just numbers and, you know, it's not the matrix out there. You are dealing with, with people. Uh, So I think there's a human element to what you're doing, but I also think that you do have to look at things from a holistic approach. Right. And if, if patterns are, I mean, I look at it from a scouting perspective, if we have patterns, right. The other team is going to know those patterns too. Right. And yes, we are going to have one person at the end of the day that we want to get the ball to and it's crunch time because we think that he's going to give us the ability to score. Um, But then, you know, there's 24 other points that, that have to be won out there. So how are we putting ourselves in a position to, to really do that well? And I think that's, everyone has their own way of, of slicing it up and, and coming up with it. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, there's no right way. Right. Like if there was one like system, every, that every was the player best. is different, right? So like some players abilities right. limit them or open or endless. Right. So like, just the way people perceive the game. I mean, you could say it a hundred million times one way and a kid can never get it. And then you could say it one way, the right way. And it just clicks for them. And like, it's just some people's perception is where all of our perceptions are not the same. Right. So like you could say run quick pick over and over and over again. And I could see people diving in and I would think there's three men up. But for some people, they're like, no, there's one guy. It's just I just see hands diving, right? So, No, 100%. And I think that was that was a big shock when I was in Japan, right? It's like those athletes, they had never faced a big 6'11", 7-foot guy bombing a jump serve from 12 feet, right? So they didn't understand the concept of just setting an angle with their arms because they didn't have enough time to get out there. They had faced all these 6-foot guys hitting jump floats at them. So they were able to move their feet well and do all this stuff. And uh, and I didn't understand why they were having such a hard time grasping the concept. But then all of a sudden you realize that their frame of reference just isn't there. Yeah. Um, and the lens with which they view the world is different. Not everyone views it the same lens. So I think understanding that uh, is a big piece of just the maturity of coaching. Sure. Well, Dave, I, I think we're good here. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, just hanging out and chatting and it's always fun to talk volleyball, especially now when, when things are shut down. <laughs> no, thank you for coming on and, um, and just sharing. It's really nice. It's, it, yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. We just want to have some athletes on first and it's really refreshing to have a coach and perspective come on. No, I appreciate it. You know, and the fact that Jordan got to come on before I did, you know, I'll never end, uh, like, I won't hear the end of it, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, Dave, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully we can uh, have you on another time and we can chat some more. Yeah, that'd be fun. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Dave. We'll see you later. Right. Thank you. All right. See you guys.